The content in this podcast is meant for mature audiences only, 18 and up, as some of it may be difficult to hear. Continuing to listen to this content releases Rest, Virginia Dixon, and Dr. Sherry Keffer from All Liability. Welcome, everyone, to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and REST, Virginia Dixon. Hi, Virginia. (laughs) How are you? Happy to be here at the villa. I'm happy that we're here, too. I know this is the first time that we're actually recording here, and this time we actually have everyone on video. That's right. So we're going to be on YouTube. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to introduce our guest really quick. So for nearly 20 years, Dr. Sherry Keffer is in private practice as a marriage and family therapist in Newport Beach, California, and is a certified clinical partner specialist, certified sex addiction therapist, and a certified partner trauma therapist supervisor. She is a passionate advocate for women who've experienced betrayal. And just so everyone knows, so you guys can attend she hosts retreats called bravery after betrayal it takes fierce strength so thank you so much dr sherry keffer for joining us you bet it's great to be here with you guys today love it no <laughs> sherry i'm so glad to have this conversation I with know. you we've had many conversations before this one and that's why we're here today that's right. to talk about stuff that really matters and to try to make sense of some stuff that has really hurt people and yeah. how they can heal through it and get really well And I'm glad you opened with that because one of the things that is near and dear to my heart is the hemorrhaging heart of our nation. And I talk about that often. And it's easy to speak about things out here, right? But I think the subject that we're going to be discussing today, which we're going to start with your story today. So we have context for this amazing book that you've published. But I think what is a lot less comfortable is talking about why is the hemorrhaging heart of a nation manifesting in the way that we're all experiencing, right? Those are somewhat, I guess, comfortable discussions in an uncomfortable way. But what becomes a lot more complicated is to understand how we got here. And the home is a primary sphere of influence, right? It is. So what happens in our homes is consequently experienced in all these different spheres of influence. So I think this conversation with you is so important because we're more comfortable talking about the confusing and chaotic and diseased political climate that we find ourselves in. But it's not as comfortable discussing, wow, maybe that's a consequence of what's happening in our homes. And in the primary sphere of government, which is our own soul, our mind, our heart, our conscience, our feelings, right? Right. And so with that, I want you to tell everybody a little bit about your story, because that's really where I want to focus this month. It's February. We celebrate love and our understanding of love. 
And I believe that the consequence of things that are uncomfortable for us to discuss are at the heart and soul of what has to be addressed and fixed in order for the ripple effect to take place and for things to change. So tell us a little bit about your story. I want everyone to hear. It's interesting because you, you bring up a few things. You know, when I think about love... And this month being Valentine's right month and, and my story, my love was very wounded because of sexual deception through pornography, affairs, prostitutes, and it decimated my heart. In fact, the Greek word for trauma means to wound. Mm-hmm. And so when there is a wound of our heart and the wound of our heart comes from the person that you believe is the one that's going to protect you, love you, guard your heart, protect your heart. You know, they've got your back. And then you find out that that isn't true. Your world gets completely turned upside down. You don't trust people. You don't trust self. And you often lose trust in God because you you just feel so turned upside down. And that's what happened to me. I, I was married to a pastor who I didn't know the extent of his acting out. I knew one thing, but you know what I did? I knew when we were dating that he had called a 900 line. And back in the day, a 900 line, I didn't even know what that was actually, but it was a sex line. It's a phone number that they call in order to engage with somebody sexually. We have other things today, and those numbers are still available, right? But when I found out about it, I confronted Connor, and I used that name just to kind of protect his identity and in my book and all, but I confronted Connor, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, it won't happen again. And I was confused. Why would he be calling some sex line when when we were dating. So I decided to talk to his brother. I went to school with his brother. I was at a Bible college, actually, at that time. How old were you? I was 23 when all that happened. So 23 and dating, and you saw some red flags. Red flag. Mm -hmm. And what I did is talk to his brother, got a little bit more information, and his brother said, you know what? All guys Mm -hmm. act out. And if a guy on a campus doesn't tell you that he's acted out, he's lying. So that was kind of a shocker to me as well. But somehow it normalized it in my mind, and I didn't take it any further. Mm -hmm. I didn't ask any deeper questions. Mm -hmm. And what I did is I spiritualized it that day. Mm -hmm. I did what I thought I was supposed to do, to forgive, Mm -hmm. right? And that's exactly what I did. I, I mean, I cried, I, I hurt, I, he said he wasn't going to do it again, so I believed him, but I used forgiveness to cover up a gaping hole in his heart, yeah. in his mm-hmm. life, and that gaping hole was literally a cesspool of sexual acting out. So that was just an indicator of way deeper things going on. So what happened from 23 on? I want to let you really go through your whole story as much as possible. Yeah. So we dated. He was a pastor and I was studying theology. And how old was he? You were 23 and yeah, he, was? he was 27. Mm-hmm. I have to count on fingers. Yeah. twenty-seven. <laughs> he was um, not in school with you. No, no, he was already in a very large church 
and he was working as a pastor and I went to school with his brother. And so I loved his brother. I loved his brother and his wife and their three kids. I would hang out with them all the time. And I actually just said, Hey, if you ever find out you have a long lost brother, fill me in. Cause I was so loved this couple. And he said, well, I do have a brother. And he told me all about Connor, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, I have to go back I have to go back a little bit. When I talk about my story, I can't talk about it without saying that I'm trauma squared. Mm. That's how I talk about trauma in my family of origin. Define that. So trauma squared is, I grew up in a home where there was some severe mental illness, Mm -hmm. severe. And because of that, there were patterns of disconnect where you weren't really seen or heard. You didn't really share what was going on and everybody just covered it up. So here I go, cover up this wound, right, with Connor. I knew how to do that and I know how to do it really well. But we were disconnected and sadly, my family is still disconnected. Mm -hmm. It's kind of one of my heartbreaks. But there was, because of the severe mental illness, it was never taken care of. I learned how to hide and cover, I felt tremendous shame over what was happening in my home. And I covered it up rather than talking about it, rather than exposing it, rather than getting healing and, and care for it. Uh, I'm really glad that you mentioned this part of the dynamic because when I deal with this sort of situation, I often find that the partner comes in and speaks about the problems in the marriage, but omits to discuss their own background Mm -hmm. that in some ways conditioned them to rationalize perhaps some of the red flags. Yeah. And let me explain why that is. Mm -hmm. Please do. Yeah. A lot of times. So in my research, I actually researched that because I wondered how many people that are in relationships, and this was women, all my research with was with women, but how many of these 100 women that I studied actually had some family of origin issues? I used something called an ACE, which looks mm-hmm. at uh, adverse, you know what that is, That's adverse right. childhood scale on, on things that happened to us. 80% of us had at least one or more on that early childhood trauma, but 20% of the partners had a goose egg. They had nothing. And mm. and so what does that say? It says that possibly there might be some of these women who came from a good family, but they ended up marrying somebody that mm. has a sex addiction That's or str- right. struggles with sexual compulsivity and acting out. So I think a lot of times when partners go in, there's an assumption that mm. you have to have some family of origin issues if you're here right. with somebody else who is acting out in some way. But that's not the truth. No, it is absolutely not. And and so the second reason mm-hmm. that they're focusing in on talking about mm-hmm. what's happened to them in the portrayal is this. It's kind of like when you come in with betrayal, you're literally bleeding out. I often look at it like an emergency room where somebody comes into my office and they're on a gurney. They're talking about the current pain that's been going on. So to go into family of origin issues at that point is, no, is too soon. It's almost that's like right. breaking your arm, you know, severely walking into an emergency room, having a doctor there and saying, oh yes, we look, you definitely are in pain. Come in, come in the office. And then the doctor comes in and starts to look at you. And he says, now, because I see you're in a lot of pain. 
Now, tell me about the time you fell out of the tree when you were eight years old. That's right. Right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Thank you. That yeah, was yeah. a nice mm-hmm. laugh because mm-hmm. that's it, it. It misses the mark. And mm-hmm. actually what happens to that betrayed partner is they pull back from you. They're like, you don't get mm-hmm. me. You don't get that I'm bleeding out right now. You don't get that this person's really hurt me. And some of them leave treatment. Some of them mm-hmm. leave the therapy context because mm-hmm. they don't feel seen and heard. Yeah, they, look, yeah. they feel looked well, over. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It's very serious. However, I'm glad that out of your research, you found the 80, 20. Yeah. Because 20% is a significant number as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have to get curious and that's why I'm bold in talking about being trauma squared. It's a part of my story. I wish Mm -hmm. I came from a family that had, you know, a good connecting, loving environment, Mm -hmm. but I didn't because of the mental illness that Mm -hmm. happened. And I learned a, a, a way of coping and that, that wasn't healthy was to, to just go to denial, to minimize it, to look away from it, to avoid it. And I did that same thing with Connor. So 23 years old and he was 27 years old. Yep. It's interesting when you found out a little bit about what was going on that you tucked it away. I hid it. You hid it. I hid it. I went into denial. How many years did you date before you married? So this is this is another part of my story, Virginia. So I dated long distance for a year, saw him 12 times, visited him once a month, and then we got married. Whoa. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it is true. It is a whoa. But at that point, I was idealizing him. I had come from this family that had a lot of hurt. And I saw him. His dad worked for Billy Graham. I mean, it was like big. And I thought, oh, here I am, Cinderella. I'm going to put my foot in this shoe, and we are going to just ride off into the sunset. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was being taken out of this horrible situation. But it was like coming out of the frying pan into the fire, right? Yeah. But I didn't see it. But, you know, I think... That that's part of what I learned growing up is we just don't talk about it. We don't go there. And it just, it was a a habit of hiding that I was covering my shame in my family Mm -hmm. of origin. No one knew about the mental illness Mm -hmm. in my family. That's right. And I, I tried to hit hit that too. I just wanted to put lipstick on that pig and look good and move forward. And I think I was enamored with Connor. I kind of got caught up in him, the story, how he looked on the outside. And so where there's this one blip on the radar, I minimized it myself. But right. it, well, it also didn't fit with your convictions, your spiritual convictions. And so we rationalize it. Yeah, say more we about rationalize. that. Well, he's a leader in the church. How, does that, how do you reconcile that with his private life? I know. When you're 23, 24 years old, we don't even have this context for much of life and the spiritual maturity, certainly to understand how can those things, how can I, how can this person who's a leader in the church hold these two things exactly. together? Exactly. Right. Righteousness and the depravity of his own soul and his, his private life. And then his brother or his friends are rationalizing. This is just what guys do. Exactly. No, in fact, it may be what guys do, but real men can step into that and say, hey, you know what? Something's not okay. Boys versus men. Yeah. Yeah. And and sadly, so many men, Natalie, and we deal with this so much, yeah. just are still living as boys. 
and we give them a pass as boys, but we expect we have expectations of them as men. I think there's, that's why there's, there's so much without, confusion and, and chaos. And what's so sad is that it's without teaching them how to be men. Exactly. We expect boys to be men, but we're not like the... And I see this so much in my generation where there's so much expectation on my generation to then step up and take the place of the generation that went before us. But because of social media, because a lot of the ways that, that these men have grown up there, there wasn't a lot of teaching and guidance in regards to actually how to be a man, how to take care of your family, how to love your wife and to honor God in that and how to be a righteous man. Like there's not a lot of training yeah. on that. And it, the disintegration, that's why I'm saying we can talk about all these problems that we're facing out here, but the fact is that the slow disintegration of roles and responsibilities and what a family system looks yeah. like and all that, it's been compounding yeah. for many, many, many years. And and it is a different, it is a different era. Uh, yes. Like you said, mm-hmm. back in the day when I was growing up, boys mm-hmm. found their dad's playboys. Yeah. And that's how they got introduced to sexual acting out. Mm-hmm. Boys have been sexualized to be sexual. Now yeah. today, they have devices, mm-hmm. right? Where they can, and right. I can within less than a minute, within 30 seconds, I can pull up pornographic material on any phone. Yep. And we've got six, seven, eight-year-old and nine-year-old young boys and girls mm-hmm. who are now finding pornography and they are developing an arousal template that is highly sexualized mm-hmm. and it's so damaging for them. There's no condom for the internet and that in and of itself right. has opened up. Even in the midst of the pandemic, it's a porn-demic. Yeah. There is so much mm-hmm. more acting out. Because everyone's lonely. Everyone's lonely, mm-hmm. disconnected. Yeah. They're looking for a way to numb out, mm-hmm. right? For yeah. that temporary, and it's free. There's no cost to it. And they it's think free, that they're doing private. Private. And secret. Yep. Yep. All of that. And then when we turn blind eyes mm-hmm. to it, it's, it's like cancer, yeah, it's it like mold. It's like a rat. It's like a rat infestation. It just keeps growing. Mm-hmm. It's it's made to grow in the dark. Mm-hmm. And healing is possible. I know that. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have written my book. I wouldn't be talking. I wouldn't be pulling partners together because every time I am reaching into the heart of somebody who is on the other side of somebody who's sexually betraying them in any way, I feel like I'm reaching in through them to pull that person out of that sexual acting out at the same time. That's right. Yeah. And I'm doing that because I know it's possible. And I'm glad you said that because this isn't about slamming men and it isn't, yeah, it isn't not about all. taking an adversarial position Mm-mm. towards anything. It's about, I wanted you specifically to share all the dynamics, yeah. including your part in the confusion and the chaos that was really compounding. Mm-hmm. So you guys got married. We did. And we did. What happened? And then very shortly, within six months mm-hmm. of our marriage, I noticed Connor pulling away. I mean, it was within the six months. It wasn't yeah. like we had a great time and then, but right away, mm-hmm. he began to pull away. And, and when I say pull away, what it looked like is, you know, he'd be at the sink and we'd be doing dishes and I would as a newlywed, you know, reach over and want to nibble his ear and he would like pull away from me. Hmm. And I didn't understand that. He wasn't as interested in being sexual with me. 
which was a shock. Now, some people have a very different story that mine, than mine even when sexual acting out is going on, but mine was that he pulled away. Pulled away. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. I remember telling my best girlfriend, her name is Julie, I was like, okay, Julie, so what happens in your relationship with your husband, Kevin, when, you know, after you guys have had a really great night, made love. And she's like, oh, it's awesome. It's like there's oil in, in, the, in the spokes of the wheel of our, our marriage. And I said, oh, she goes, why are you asking? I go, that doesn't happen at all. If mm-hmm. anything, Connor would pull away from me. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize is Connor had an intimacy disorder that mm-hmm. was underneath that. Mm-hmm. And I, too, having grown up in my family of origin, mm-hmm. also had some intimacy issues, mm-hmm. uh, fear of being known That's and right. seen, because I was afraid of rejection, really. And and Connor has his own story. But if, you know, on the surface, you would have thought we were Ken and Barbie. But underneath, we were very disconnected and didn't know how to come together authentically in a very mm-hmm. real way. I think this is such a problem in the church. Yeah. You have the public life and the private life and not a lot of space I to know. reconcile that by way of conversation, even getting counseling in the church. But tell me what happens. So six months into this, this is getting really yeah. uncomfortable. And we went into counseling and I was told that Connor said that he was burned out, that he had burnout. And I'm thinking, burnout? Okay, well, he has been in the ministry for a while. Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what I didn't know is that he had disclosed that he had been struggling with pornography. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how long that struggle had been. But come to find out, it had been for a long time. Who did he, did he disclose it to? He had told uh, our therapist mm-hmm. that he struggled. And, but this is, and I love our therapist. I stayed with her for years following, but this is a thing is she was trying to hold all the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Connor was keeping a ton of secrets sexually. Mm-hmm. And because she was seeing me and him as a couple, because she was seeing me individually and him individually, do you think that he was brave enough to tell her all that he had been struggling with mm-hmm. and the deep secrets of the sexual acting out life, mm-hmm. even even unconsciously, it, somebody would hold back because he would be like, oh, well, he'll, she'll just tell Sherry. And so that actually wasn't the best fit for us. Mm-hmm. A lot of times today what happens is we'll actually have the person who's sexually acting out see a therapist, and then I will see the betrayed partner but then we have a release sign so that we can talk. These two therapists can talk to each other so that there aren't more secrets. Yeah. Because sometimes in therapy, it's like they're seeing somebody, you're seeing somebody, and those roads never cross. But mm-hmm. that's not light. You have to expose this with Everything light. Everything has mm-hmm. to be yeah, exposed. You can't have these hidden places. Mm-hmm. People just stay really stuck there for years. So we, um, he ended up getting into a recovery group, and I did too which was very depressing. I was there with a bunch of women that were probably 30 years older than me. And I didn't want to have their life. I looked at them and I thought, no. So I didn't go back. We were in counseling three times a week. What was the straw though that broke the camel's back? It's being in counseling three times a week and then finding out that he was having affairs and seeing prostitutes during that time. While you were in counseling. While we were in counseling. Mm -hmm. Wow. All this was happening. Mm -hmm. And 
You know, I would, there were there indiscretions, were there indiscretions associated with his job on top of that during that season as well? We had kind of an intervention with the, the, the pastor at the church and that was any acting out with the women in the church. That question was asked, Mm -hmm. but Connor said, no, I've never had a full disclosure. I've never had a therapeutic full disclosure with Connor. So I have no idea to the extent Mm -hmm. I only know the discoveries of things I Mm -hmm. found, right? I found evidence of the prostitute. I found evidence of affairs. Mm -hmm. He exposed some of that to me, shared some Mm -hmm. of that to me. The elders Mm -hmm. came and prayed for us in our house. Mm -hmm. You know, they were even saying to me, they don't think he's a Christian, which was hard for me to hear because I believe he is a believer. I just think he was caught up yeah. in it's in bondage. Enslaved it's bondage. By this. It's yeah. like barbed wire that's just mm-hmm. cutting him and cutting everybody that gets near him. It's a great word picture. Yeah. Something else that struck me, and you and I, I think, had discussed this in conversation, that one of the triggers for you was a young girl, junior high school girl, a high school girl. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, Jenna, she was just this darling, you know, young girl that came and uh, we would go up every year, Connor and I to a camp in the mountains. It was like a family camp where everybody came and this darling gal came running up to my cabin because I wasn't coming out. And the reason I wasn't coming out is because I was clinically depressed. You so often, Virginia, talk about the body and how the body keeps Keeps the the score, score, right? How it holds the information. Mm -hmm. Well, because I had been hiding all of what was going on with Connor and I and Mm -hmm. not telling people, and here we are still serving openly in ministry, my body began to shut down. It Mm -hmm. was honest. It's like my body started saying, I'm not doing this anymore. That's right. Yeah. And and so I became clinically depressed. I wasn't going to the meals in, you know, to the meetings and she missed me. So she came up and knocked on the door and I opened it up and I was like, hey girl. She's like, hey, Sherry. She goes, I miss seeing you. Why don't you, would you have dinner with me tonight? And I said, oh honey, I'm not feeling well. Maybe we can look at tomorrow, but right now I'm just not feeling well. And then she said, okay. And and she said, well, okay, well, hopefully I'll see you tomorrow. And then she turned around to start skipping away. And she looked back at me and she said, someday I hope to marry someone just like Connor. And you could have hit me with a two by four. It was like, boom. Yeah. And I thought, no, I yeah. wanted to say, Jenna, run. No, mm-hmm. she had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. No one really had any idea of the extent that was going on. Mm-hmm. It wasn't public information, right? Because there's so much shame attached to it. Yeah. But I want to make a plug for depression. And I also have something to say about pain and states of disease okay. and why these things are a gift to us. Yeah. Everything's working properly when you're depressed. Everything is working properly if you're anxious. Things are okay that you can't get out of bed. It means there's another window to open. There's a door <laughs> to unlock. Wow. Something is behind those feelings, those emotions that paralyze us. Mm-hmm. We got to get to the root cause of the feelings. Yeah. 
right? And sometimes they're complicated things. Sometimes, and we talk about this a lot, Natalie, but sometimes they're generational things that yeah. we don't understand. Sometimes they're spiritual interception of really dark, vile things that we have no knowledge of. Yeah. By the way, sometimes either does our partner. So when we're too quick to fix everything and mm-hmm. stop the pain, stop the depression, stop everything. We miss an incredible opportunity to wonder, I think. What are the layers that have to be peeled back? So anyway, I don't want to derail you. But no, I you're think- not. You, you bring up a great point. With wondering has to come a willingness. Yes. Mm-hmm. And courage. To feel and deal. It is tremendous courage. Some of the bravest mm-hmm. work we will ever yeah. do is when we decide to stop hiding and covering what is there that is like an abscess that's eating you alive. It's eating your relationship alive. It's eating your home alive. It's eating your kids alive. And then we're back to what is happening in this country. Well, the pornography industry is really like a silent killer. It is sweeping this nation, one person, one household Mm -hmm. at a time. And it's taking churches that could otherwise be filled with light and hope. Mm -hmm. And because it's, so running through the pews up to the pastors and you know there's a large percentage sadly pastors mm-hmm. are people mm-hmm. of that are struggling with mm-hmm. porn addictions or sexually acting out mm-hmm. and it compromises the whole integrity of the very light mm-hmm. that you know we it would be amazing if we could be but it it's puts an, darkness over that right. right it's an assault on our own conscience violating the most sacred sphere of government our conscience right it vi- it's an assault we commit against ourselves yeah. regardless of the momentary pleasure that it brings it is a cancer it's never enough it's this well it's never satisfied yeah. It's like a well of dark. It's never satisfied. And then you're governing lies. Like lies. you're governing, but you're governing all the lies and the hiding mm-hmm. and the relationships. That's and right. Yeah. I, I want to mention this really quick because I think that this is important. The science behind pornography and the reason why it is so addicting and what actually happens when you do that. So what happens is, is that it, it activates your reward center. Mm-hmm. And the more that you return to it, the longer it actually takes for you to activate that reward center, which is where the addiction part comes in. Addictions, that's what addictions do. Yeah, a thousand percent. But then it actually creates gray matter in your Mm -hmm. frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. And what happens is is that it stops your ability to connect with Mm -hmm. people who like want to participate in that with you, like your wife. Mm -hmm. You are then unable to emotionally connect Mm -hmm. during you know, having sexual intercourse mm-hmm. and the wife being for women, it's extremely vulnerable for us to do, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. something that is very emotional for us. So when the man is not connecting, we feel it and it feels mm-hmm. empty in a way. It is. And that's important physiologically. That's what it does. But the greatest tragedy is the assault on the conscience Yes, because it divides you from yourself, from your constituents. Yeah, Sherry, at rest, we always talk about the relationship between the spirit, the soul, and the body. And when that is severed, it is an assault we commit against ourselves. Yeah. And yes, the physiological consequence is all the brain matter and all that. But I think I want people to understand that this is a cancer and those whose lives have affected by it understand that it is a cancer in men and women, but it's in men and women. Mm-hmm. That's right. But it's really an assault we commit against ourselves and it pollutes everything around us. Yep. And anyway, I don't want to 
get too much into that on this session, but thank you, Natalie. We don't want to cut that out (laughs) because it's physiologically what's happening. But in your story, ultimately, I always talk about the beauty and the ashes of our life Mm -hmm. because it really compelled you to care about yourself, about Connor, about the institution of marriage, about your faith, about relationships. It caused you to care so much that you really said, we've got to roll up our sleeves and get to the root of the truth of all things. And the life of your heart was shattered. The role of your relationships was severed. The meaning of the images, everything you held sacred was destroyed. And yet the value of the story was not the narrative of deception and just the devastation that infidelity leaves behind, but it all compelled you to do something good, which we're going to discuss in the next segment. But talk about that for a minute. You know, it, it, it's it's so interesting. You bring me back to a point where I went away to a four day weekend that was kind of a healing, something that you do here. I mean, you mm-hmm. where you get people together and you're really focused in on trying to heal deeply. And the person that was leading this group had just asked us to come together and just, you know, kindly speak into what we observed over the few days with Mm -hmm. different people in the group. And there was a gentleman there and, and don't take this wrong when you all hear this, because for me, it was a wake up. It was a gift. He said, you know, as I've observed you, he said, you seem like you're kind of a scrapper girl. You just kind of are satisfied with breadcrumbs. And he said, and the other picture Mm -hmm. I have for you is a Viking woman. He said, you you're not vulnerable. You don't even let us open the door for you. You are just, and I I saw those two pictures and it disturbed me, but I felt like they were true because it was my flesh manifesting out of protection. I felt worthless, not enough, not good enough, not pretty. No one's going to want me. And then I felt like I was not in control. So you better darn be booting sure that I'm going to control even the doorknob, right? I'm not going to let anybody, I'm not going to have hooks anywhere. So what happened is I went on a walk that day by a dry riverbed and I was so disheartened and I cried out to God and I said, I don't like that. I don't like those pictures. They're true. I don't want to be that way. And then I remembered John Eldridge and a book that he wrote, Wild at Heart, and where he would have men's conferences and he would go there and he would ask the men to ask God, who do you say that I am? How do you see me? So I decided to do that. I said, well, if you could do that for men, like I just went, how do you see me? Who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. And then I went like this put my hands over my eyes, my ears. I was like, okay, don't answer me. Don't answer. You you can think about it. You know, I was so afraid, (laughs) but it was within moments that I sensed the Lord say to me, you are my warrior princess. Now you are warrior (laughs) is the opposite of Viking woman. Mm -hmm. Princess is the opposite of a scrapper girl. That's right. God saw in me the very heart of who he ordained me to be. And I decided that day, even though I was walking wounded, to believe his picture of who I was. And I said, that's who I am. And so as he has continued to heal my life, out of the very ashes of my story, my marriage was a casualty, but my life has been anything but that, thanks to the Almighty God. Mm-hmm. And He has put into my heart an incredible passion to get into the deep, dirty, dark part of all this mm-hmm. in order to bring 
truth and safety, which I call the two pillars, back into a relationship. Mm-hmm. And you can't have any partner who's been de- betrayed at any level, and you would know this, you have to have safety, and you can't have safety without the truth yeah. of what's going on. You know, that's a great note to close on. I've said for 20 years, and it came out of my mouth, I think, when I spoke at a MOPS conference, National MOPS conference, that I profoundly believe that women in this era represented perhaps the most important demographic in this country because they shape the character and conscience of the next generation. Women have an enormous amount of power. The heart of a warrior for the woman is very appropriate. Men have authority, no question. And I see the hunger for that in families that are broken and that are chaotic. They long for the tenderness of a mom and for the leadership of a father, the authority. And we talk a lot about that, right? A lot, yeah. But what a great opportunity to understand who we are as women and not to make this just about the betrayal and about all these other toxic things that we all, all men and women and children have to deal with in life, but to end on this note of identity Mm -hmm. and really stepping into who we are as men and who God says we are as women. And by the way, design substantiates the basis of that. We're going to do a whole segment on that, honey, with Catherine (laughs) Dang. And we're going to get to the principles behind this congruent with every science and everything. But for now, I just love what you said because it's individually and corporately, the individual stepping into our identity individually and the consequence corporately will heal the hemorrhaging heart of our nation. I know it, but you get really practical in this amazing book you've written, Intimate Deception. And I want to talk about that if we can, Natalie, in the next segment. Yeah. I appreciate that. I just wanted to mention, you said uh, identity in the Genesis, when God named Eve, he called her Ezer. That is used in the Old Testament, and it's used in the context of battle, and it's also used in the Mm -hmm. context of God himself. So he's big Ezer, we're little Ezer, but Ezer Kenegdo, when you look at the ancient Hebrew word and what that means, it means warrior companion of fierce strength. And so there you go, warrior companion of fierce strength. strength. So I believe he's raising up, I I think he wants to use me as one person to raise up an army of Ezra Konegdos to fight against what's going on, but to fight for ourselves and those we love, our families. And I have a community, which is my Brave One community, and I want to offer your listeners a month free in that community if you want to learn more about this topic. Uh, It's braveone.com forward slash rest, and then you just put a coupon code in honor of you, rest, R-E-S-T. And thank we'll you so you much, thank Harry. you. Thank yeah. you. We'll pick this up in a few minutes. Thanks. Yes, we will. That's great. Thank you both so much for being here. All right, everyone. Our Newport Beach Day of Rest event is coming up quickly on February 26th. All of the information is already on the website, including registration. And please feel free to call us at the office for any questions. If you'd like more information about Dr. Keffer or to get in touch, please visit her website, braveone.com or her Instagram at Dr. Sherry Keffer. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, 
please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate. Thank you for listening to Wrestle Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.